Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. On 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family-owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Uh, our guest in this uh, episode is uh, someone who's been a stalwart in the uh, Australian men's hockey team over a long period of time. He racked up uh, more than 200 games. He's competed uh, in the Australian Colours at multiple Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games, as well as many of the other big hockey tournaments uh, around the world throughout his career. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Simon Orchard. Hey, Simon. G'day, Tim. How are uh, the, you? Good, thank you. There have been some some colourful and, and controversial moments <laughs> through your career as well, including a uh, a stint uh, in custody in uh, in <laughs> Brazil during the Rio Games, which we'll get to in a moment. We but, can't uh, wait for that. How's life treating you anyway? Obviously, uh, your hockey days uh, now, that phase of your life has finished up. How's life treating you in, in, in 2019? Yeah, life's good. I'm uh, actually expecting my first child in oh, a couple wow. of weeks. So I'm Fantastic. almost on standby. I've yeah. got to go home and pack the bag tonight and get it ready just in case she, she comes or he or she comes along. We don't know the sex. Uh, but my wife, Airly, got married last year. Uh, first baby on the way soon. So life's changing. Yeah. But life's great. How does uh, the, the nerve, the, how do the nerves compare waiting for this as compared to uh, building up to an Olympic Games or something <laughs> like that? Well, it's interesting. Playing elite sport, you know, nerves are obviously a part of it, but some people are affected by it. I was never too concerned. Yeah. Um, pretty relaxed type of character, and I'm really excited to be a father. Yeah. I'm also, you know, there's some trepidation, not knowing of what's, what's ahead. Uh, some late nights and some challenges, but I think it's all part of life. And Absolutely. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really pumped for it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, can't wait. I imagine you'll be getting a hockey stick in the kid's hand pretty soon because... Uh, Honestly, I, I don't you, think I will. No? No, I reckon no? it might be a tennis racket or a golf... Or whatever they want to do. It could, yeah. it could be anything. If they, wanna, they might want to be a, an artist or a musician or... They'll rebel. Against you, because I should point out that your wife is a hockey player as well, or an ex. Yeah, she yeah. is. Oh, look, hockey's definitely in my family, in my my wife's family as well, and it's sort of entrenched a little yeah. bit. Uh, but I'm definitely a parent that will let the child make their own decisions, and yep. if they want to play hockey, that's great. Uh, if they don't, that's wonderful as well. But mm. the, you know, the world's full of possibilities, and absolutely, it's an interesting one because I um I played hockey obviously for a long time. Always had this sort of not resentment, but wonder about what else was out there. So I'm hoping my child will have the opportunities that I had, but also some extra ones as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go back to you then, as a boy, because uh, you were born in New South Wales. Mm. Uh, how old were you when you came over here? Oh, uh, I would have been twenty. Yeah, just twenty. You, and so you came over here because Perth is kind of. The home of hockey, really? Yeah, it is. Yeah, Yeah, the AIS hockey program at the time, which is sort of disbanded and changed a little bit, 
was here in Perth. So you pretty much had to, uh, if you got picked, and I remember I was here in Perth playing in a tournament. Uh, the national coach at the time, Barry Dancer, came down to me pitch side after a match and said, congratulations, you're in the AIS. We need you here in a week. Wow. Uh, so I went home, flew home to Sydney. i just met my wife at the time. So we were together, I think, a week. And I said, uh, I've got to go. How does a long-distance relationship sound to you? <laughs> yeah, and it, it was challenging at the start, uh, but obviously she's a hockey player as well, so she understood the yeah. uh, the demands of coming over here. But I was here literally, I think, five days later. Wow. Uh, with a couple of bags and no yep. idea about anything, really. Yep. Um, but that was the start of the hockey journey, mm. I've been here ever since. How old were you when you first picked up a stick? I actually wasn't too young. I played soccer a lot of my youth uh, through a lot of my youth, and my mum and dad got me onto hockey when I was maybe eleven or twelve. Right, which is quite late for um for a lot of sports people that go on to I guess represent their country. But I always enjoyed soccer, and yep. Um, eventually, just hanging around hockey enough, mum and mm. dad said, "Well, why don't you play?" Played with a lot of my friends. We all left the soccer team and formed a hockey team that was half decent and played as much as we could when we were young. Because mm. I suppose a lot of people, you know, if you if you fall into a sport, it's normally say cricket or well, you're already playing soccer then. Mm. Why hockey? I think it was purely just because I was there. I remember like standing pitch side watching mum play. She was in a team called the Glad Bags. So we were <laughs> dressed up in garbage bags, me and my two brothers. Must have looked so daggy. But I just remember sit, sitting pitch side in our garbage bags with our arm holes cut out and our head hole cut out. And <laughs> great for wet weather because we were perfectly ponchoed. But, yeah. Um, yeah, after a while it just became, hey, boys, you're here all the time. We're running around the grass fields. We used yep. to play on grass fields. And country sport was one of those. I was from a town of about 10, 12,000 yeah. people. Musselbrook. Musselbrook, yeah. Mm. And it's not not much happens there, but sport is, you know, the heart and soul of those small towns. Yeah. So I really didn't have a choice. We played a, a tri-nations, a tri-city sort of tournament between Scone and Denman, and there was a big rivalry, and that's sort of how I fell into hockey. Yeah. And at, at what point, though, did you think, I can make a real go of this? I'm pretty good at it. Let's see how far I can take it. Well, again, not for a while. I think I mean, like it, high school years? Yeah, well, it's a different sort of story, but I played my first state team as an under-18 player. Mm. Um, so a lot of years of trying to play. It wasn't like I wasn't giving it a go. I was trying my hardest, and I just wasn't that talented. And it's a funny sort of story now, and I always tell it when I go and visit kids and do coaching clinics with kids, that for some people it doesn't happen to you a bit later, and... You look at sports like AFL, which is extremely popular here in Perth and around the country, and they get drafted as 18-year-olds, and you don't know what a lot of these guys are going to become, girls mm. as well. Um, mm. People develop at different rates, and as an 18-year-old, I was skinny, wiry. I was quick and smart, but not great. And then the next couple of years, I sort of exploded, I guess, and two years later, I was playing for Australia. Yeah, and, and all of a sudden, you're landing in Perth. What was that like? I mean, that sounds like a whirlwind. You get the call up and then five days later you're here. You've just met to what went on to become your wife. Yeah. Um, that must have been a, a crazy time. Yeah, it was. I was lucky that I had some, some good influences who were already here from New South Wales who sort of took me under their wing. I lived with a guy, Daniel McPherson, and his wife. They'd been in the program a couple of years and made the same move mm. a couple of years earlier. But I remember um, yeah, one of the first weeks. So I got here, introduced to the team. Didn't know anyone either because I hadn't played any Australian junior stuff. So I was mm. really out of the blue. Uh, there was an Olympics the following year. So that was sort of what everyone had their minds on. But the first week I went up to Gloria Jeans at um, Market Town yeah. to get myself a job. And so I was baristering 
uh, on the yeah. side and training during the morning. And, and, and was that all off, off your own bat or is it part of the program that they find a job for you or help you find a job? I mean, how much support do you get? Yeah, not enough. They have they have people in positions to try and yeah. get you into study and, and work. And study was something that was in the background as well. That was just my dad harassing me, telling yeah. me to go and do something. And he'd done that my whole life. There'd been numerous job interviews that I'd gone along mm. to that dad had pushed me into or... Um, Thanks, Dad. Yeah, encouraged me to try and get a job. And the glory of jeans was just something different. I'm glad I did it, but I yeah. bounced around a couple of part-time jobs, which took my mind off hockey, which yeah. I wasn't a, I wasn't a guy who lived and breathed the sport. Yeah. I needed the escape and I needed some other stuff as well. Yeah, okay. And how did mum and dad react to you getting the call up? I mean, proud, I imagine, but also... Yeah, proud. Wow. But thank God. Get we're, out of the house. That's we're losing him to... The other side of the world. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, it's an interesting one. We haven't really, you know, discussed it too much. Mum, yeah. mum, and dad are, um, you know, dad's quite emotional. Mum's more stoic and uh, reserved in a way. But there wasn't too many tears. It was a good yeah. luck. We're, Off you go, son. Yeah, we're proud of you. You're gonna, yeah. you're gonna do great. And they'd come over and visit every now and then. And uh, they've followed me around the world. Ticket, ticket mm. for them to do whatever. They're like the old Kentucky tours for old people. <laughs> they just travel around the world having the time of their lives. I bet. And every tournament, I was so envious and jealous because every tournament I'd go to, after the match, I'd see them up in the stands drinking drinking beers or I'd yeah. go meet them at a pub and they'd all be having the time of their lives. Yeah, this um, is all the parents of, this the, is the, parents. of the athletes. Yeah, and the, you know, the hanger-oners and the partners. And <laughs> my mum and dad were almost... Um, yeah, sometimes I wonder if they knew the hockey was on <laughs> because they'd be having such a good time. Like, oh, I've got to go to the hockey game now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll see you in a few hours. It was a byproduct of the holiday. Yeah. Um, what are your memories of Perth arriving here? You mentioned Gloria Jeans, but, um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're still young. You're, you're only 20. Um, what are your memories of, of, of first landing here, what you experienced, what you th- what you thought of the place when you first touched down. Yeah. I remember beer was expensive Yeah, at the stage. Oh, we haven't lost that reputation, have no, we? No, definitely not. Um, you know, I was, like I said, from a small town where you'd go down to the pub and have a chicken schnitzel with gravy and a, and a beer for 12 bucks. Yeah. I come over here and it's $25, $30 later and not the best. Plus the pint. Yeah. <laughs> not the best quality either. Uh, so the food and drink stood out. I remember it was just a, it was a relaxed place. Yeah. I'd lived in Sydney previous. So, you know, that's the Mecca sort of mm. in Australia. Mm. Australia. Um, yeah, it was a, a pretty easy place to get around, very casual. It reminded me a bit of home because people yep. were quite friendly. The beaches were lovely. Yep. Uh, and there was a lot of young people in the squad at the time who we sort of bonded together yep. as a group of people who didn't really know each other that yeah. well, but yep. were in this thing together. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, that what was what brought you here. You were here to play hockey. Yeah, and be part of the the Australian setup. So, and I suppose that uh, was uh, the beginning of a, of a pretty long and an illustrious career, two hundred plus games. So we'll get into that after the break. Simon Orchard is our special guest. This is inspiring stories on eight eighty two six PR. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our special guest in this episode is Simon Orchard, who racked up more than 200 games uh, in the green and golds uh, as a member of the Australian men's hockey team. 
Uh, just before the break, we got up to the point where you uh, made the big move west, Simon, and some of the culture shock you experienced here and your, your first job here at Gloria Jeans to uh, go alongside with uh, with what I can imagine would have been a pretty, pretty gruelling uh, training regime. Uh, what's it like being part of the, the men's hockey set up here? What sort of hours and commitment does it require? Yeah, a lot of people probably wouldn't know, I guess, because hockey is one of those sports that's off-Broadway. It's yeah. not largely seen until the Commonwealth Games or the Olympics roll around, and mm. typically the hockey teams have done quite well. The Olympics, not as much, but really dominant in those Commonwealth Games type of events. But We love a winner. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and people would jump on board the bandwagon and then forget about the hockey teams for a yeah. couple of years. But, you know, you don't play hockey to be famous and... Uh, for all the plaudits and things like that. I think at, at our peak, we're probably training uh, three, four hours a day. Yep. And that's training with meetings and recovery and things on top as well. So you look at an AFL or rugby league schedule and they pretty much match up. The commitments were uh, long and arduous and at times, I thought, a little bit unnecessary. But at the same time, we were part of a sustained period of dominance. Yeah. The Kookaburras pretty much won everything. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's sort of a trade-off, but at the same time, you really do need the balance, which maybe wasn't there all the yeah. time. Yeah, okay. 2008, you made your uh, your national team debut as a tournament in South Africa. Mm. What are your memories of that? I remember it was Potchefstroom. Then uh, they had a electrical issue over there where all the electricity would go off every four hours. So we were watching the Australian Open, uh, and it might have been around the time where we had, I'm not sure if Pat Rafter was still involved, but someone someone from Australia was doing quite well. Joe Wilford Song, I think, had, had done quite well that year. But every four hours, the electricity would go off yeah. and just wouldn't come back on for a couple of hours. <laughs> so we played a lot of cricket in the yard. Uh, I remember my first touch uh, on the field, one end to the other, running like a crazed maniac and then needing to come <laughs> off for a sub quick smart because I was absolutely shot. It was just a you know young kid living his dream at the time. Yeah. And it sounds a bit cheesy to say that, but that's what I wanted to do. I'd written that on my shin pads a couple of years earlier that I wanted to play for my country. I wanted to go to the Beijing Olympics. And they were still there, the, the texture markings on my shinnies. And uh, playing that day in South Africa, the only, um, the only disappointment in a way was that my mum and dad weren't there. And it probably is the only tournament that they missed, I yeah. reckon. And I yeah. don't think... And it was your, your first time. First one, yeah. And I don't think at the time it was it was it happened really quickly. I was let know via email, and I was sort of over there playing within a month or two. It was unexpected. I didn't really think that I'd be playing at that stage. And mum and dad, uh, for whatever reason, couldn't get over there. And I don't hold that against them at all because yeah. they'd managed to come and watch me all over the place. But I just remember looking around in this small South African town. Not many people sitting around were playing the Olympic champions Germany in my first match. I was overawed, but so excited. Yeah. And the start of, you know, a pretty pretty great and cool journey, to be honest. Well, it was. And it took you to so many different places, not just the Olympics and, and Commonwealth Games. But, um, I mean, you went all over the, the world. Well, basically everywhere that plays hockey, which is not, you know, the entire all corners of the globe, but um, but a lot of it. Yeah. Um, what, what are your sort of standout memories, favourite places to go to or just most interesting trips you went on? Oh, boy. I mean, we'll, we'll leave Rio out of it. That's a story in itself. <laughs> we'll get onto that in a while. <laughs> uh, look, honestly, one of my favourite memories, and it's sort of hockey-related, we played a tournament in Belgium. Yeah. We ended up winning whatever tournament that was, but me and three mates went off to Croatia for uh, not a boys, you know, a mm. bit of a boys' trip, but not a ladsy sort of trip, just a holiday at the end after a month of hard work and just 
island hopping around, you know, the likes of Havar and going down to Dubrovnik in Croatia and experience that culture. Yep. Eating all sorts of great food, uh, visiting different uh, iconic locations around Croatia was just breathtaking. That was obviously one memorable moment. Um, but a couple of others, you know, we played games against the likes of Samoa and Fiji who had to borrow our hockey sticks before we played. Is that right? They just These guys would come over and it was part of growing the game in Oceania. Yeah. We would play them and the score lines would typically be 20, 30, mm. nil. There was rules in place for our team where we had to string a certain amount of passes together. We weren't allowed to shoot above the backboard level of the goal. Uh, sort of mercy rules in a way. But they were some of the greatest memories because they would come off smiling. We'd change shirts. Mm. Our shirt was like a tight, professional-looking number, and they'd have almost a Hawaiian shirt which buttoned <laughs> up at the front. <laughs> and I still wear that to some of my dress-up parties. Yeah. But, you know, these guys love the game. And for me, yeah, hockey was a great vehicle to yeah. see a lot of the world, but to meet so many great people and seeing, yep. you know, the Fijians and... Um, and Samoans finished those sort of games, they were almost better than winning some of the medals. Yeah. In terms of the profile of the sport, you mentioned, you know, it gets the spotlight when a Commonwealth Games or Olympic Games comes around because we do like to uh, get on board teams that are likely to, you know, win a gold or at least uh, get a medal. Um, Was it frustrating for you that uh, you had all this interest for these short bursts and then in between, um, you know, it it, fair to say it, it dissipates quite a bit? Yeah, we were largely anonymous mm. for the best part of two to four years. We'd have a World Cup in the middle, yep. uh, which for hockey purists is almost on par with the Olympics. The Olympics yep. is the one that everyone talks about, but the World Cup for us is sort of like a soccer football yep. type thing. You know, you win that. That's one of the crowning achievements. Yep. Uh, it has its it has its benefits, but being able to get around town and sort of do whatever you like and carry on however you, you see fit, nothing too inappropriate, but, you know, just have a life. Yeah. Uh, people aren't staring at us as we walk down the street. People aren't getting their phones out to take photos of us having a beer at the pub by ourselves, like poor old Stephen May a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, it, for me, I didn't play the sport to be famous, and I yeah. definitely didn't play it for money, uh, mm. and I didn't play it so people knew who I was. I just played it because I loved it, and I love playing with uh, yep. a lot of my friends. Can you make a good living as a pro hockey player? Oh, no chance. <laughs> no, no chance. Although, in saying that, uh, one of the best things that happened to hockey, uh, an English, uh, an Indian Premier League type setup happened right after the 2012 Olympics. So India, who have a ton of money and a love for hockey, decided that they were going to start this league where you could get drafted and players would earn, I think the top earning player was $100,000 for six weeks Yeah, for a hockey player, yep. which, you know, in, in a lot of professional sports is not that much, mm. but for six weeks of work. And India was like my escape, my release. Mm. I would go over there and have the time of my life. It sucked being away for six weeks. Mm. And there were certain parts of India which didn't agree with me or <laughs> my stomach. or, um, But, you know, things like meeting, meeting uh, underprivileged hockey players in India, teaching yep. them the game, uh, talking about their lives off the field. Some amazing stuff, which you, I, a lot of people wouldn't have any idea about. Yeah. It makes you feel a little bit lucky, in mm-hmm. a way, that you get to play sport for a living and yep. and have so much fun. Um, the, the, the toughest opponents you played against, I mean, it is a non-contact sport, but when you've got blokes out there wielding sticks around and a, and a pretty hard, unforgiving ball that makes <laughs> oh, yeah. contact with you, yeah, um, there's a lot of danger involved too, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Well, look, for us, Germany... 
2008 Olympic champions, and then they won again in 2012. And for anyone who watched the semi-final of the 2012 Olympics, we had Germany on the ropes. Mm. We were up 2-1 just after half time, and they ended up coming back and winning that game. I think it was 4-2 from memory. But the emotion that they displayed at the end of that game, they knew they'd effectively won the Olympics. They still had another game to go. Yep. They took care of Holland in the final. And talking to their coach and their players after that tournament, they knew that getting past us in that moment was the Olympic gold medal yeah. in a way. Yep. Um, we always had great battles. And I don't like calling them battles. I probably shouldn't do that. It's just sport. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, they were really good, Germany. Yeah. Um, we were the number one team for a long time. Mm. So it was always great playing them. Yep. A few feisty moments out there, though. Oh, yeah. How did, how did your temperament hold up in those <laughs> heated moments? I've got a questionable temperament, I reckon. <laughs> I'm not a white line fever guy, but I'm a smart aleck. Yeah. Chirp, chirpy, chirpy. <laughs> I just, you know, I watch other sports and I love, I love the contests of um, not engaging in mental warfare, but mental disintegration in a way. I love that sort of stuff. Yeah, being being really talented physically is obviously one part of being an elite sports person. But having that mental strength and the capacity to, you know, it's an old saying: you can treat triumph and disaster, meet triumph and disaster, treat those two imposters just the same. I love mm. that saying. Yeah, and I tried to remain really level and balanced, but also a real irritant sometimes. <laughs> well, you were something of an irritant to uh, Brazilian authorities, uh, <laughs> shall we say, uh, in 2016. And uh, I really want to hear more about that story, but we need to take a break. This is Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR with Simon Orchard. Uh, we've got a great story about uh, the Rio Olympics coming up for you after the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest in this episode uh, is former hockey roo, uh, Kookaburra rather. I've just um, mixed your genders up there, haven't I? <laughs> Cookleborough. Simon, Simon Orchard. Um, Rio. Uh, <laughs> when I say the words Rio Olympics to you, what comes to mind initially? Well, initially disappointment for our on-field performance. Yep. And honestly, now, in hindsight, uh, a great story. Yeah. Comes to mind. Not okay. you know, not a not overly proud of it, but it's still a great story. A great story. Slice it. Yeah. Look, let's uh, let's talk about the, the build up to it firstly, from a, a sporting perspective. Sure. Um, how confident were you guys going into Rio? Pretty confident. Yeah. Yeah. As confident as we'd probably been for a while. I remember, you know, some doubt creeping in on the eve of the tournament. Yeah. I remember a conversation with our leadership group. Me saying, I just feel as for whatever reason that day, I feel as underprepared as I had for a while, which I hadn't really felt in the lead-up. It was just sort of the eve of the Olympics. Not really sure. Maybe the pressure of the situation. And, you know, we talked about it earlier. Hockey was always talked about. Pencil in the gold medal, Mm. which is a little bit um, ridiculous, to be honest. They're so hard to win, especially in a team sport where so many different things can go wrong. Mm. Uh, But we were confident. We we underperformed. I think we were knocked out in the quarterfinals convincingly and – Probably one of the worst hockey performances of all time, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Which is, you know, not so a way that doubts, I want to go out. Uh, 
materialise. They were they were real. Yeah, they. You know, we just had a lot of little things go wrong. And Rick Charlesworth, our old coach, used to say that for things to go wrong in a game, there used to be four or five different um, little things that would happen. And in our build up to that Olympics, four or five things went wrong in the lead up. Yeah, you know, Captain Mark Knowles had a broken foot, which he was battling through and barely trained. Uh, five or six of the guys got sick in Rio, including myself, which was sort of knocked people around. Someone else got injured and ruled out on the eve of the tournament. You know, just little things like that, which yep. weren't ideal. Yeah, okay. Uh, and now tell us about the story uh, that involved you and, and a bunch of your um, Olympic teammates ending up in custody in Brazil. Give us your version of events, because this may ring a few bells for people, uh, but they might have forgotten the detail of the story. Of course, there was uh, there were a few... Um, out of competition sagas that went on there, particularly involving Ryan Lochte, the uh, high profile uh, and very successful American swimmer. He probably dominated the scandal headlines, but um, but you guys got yourselves caught up in one as well. So tell us a story. Yeah, we did. Well, it's a time honoured tradition in a way that Australian officials would try and get as many Australians into different events to try and support uh, their teammates. Yep. So I remember the Boomers were playing a semi-final. So obviously a winner would go through to a gold, they'd win a medal, mm. which I don't think they'd either done. or the, No. Yeah. So it was a semi-final. can't remember who they were playing, but in the lead-up, there was a message that went around. We sort of get these burner phones through the Olympic team where we get messages from, and it used to be Laurie Lawrence. In London, I remember, it would be Laurie Lawrence saying, you want to go to the swimming? Meet me downstairs now. You want to go to the athletics? Meet at gate five. And we'd take people in. So... The basketball was taking place. Uh, Australian officials had talked about getting as many people in as possible. And yep. normally we would get... And so you were encouraged to go to be supportive. Is that right? Or, yeah, and, yeah. And that's, fill the seats? Yep. That's the idea. Okay. And a lot of these events, you watch the Olympics and not all the seats are full mm. because Australia... We might have been playing Serbia or someone like mm. that from memory. That doesn't resonate with the Brazilian population too much mm. in basketball. So there was a lot of spare seats and as many people had been encouraged to go as possible. I actually had a ticket with my family. So I had a hard printed ticket that I'd got. Uh, my mum, dad, younger brother and girlfriend were all there as well. Yeah. So I was going to meet them in the stands and I remember waiting at the front to go in and I saw a mass of Australian, Australian uh, athletes walk past, mm -hmm. 20 or 30 athletes. And then a couple of minutes later, another 20 or 30. And then the same a couple of minutes later, I thought, gee whiz, 60 or 70 athletes all going in. And usually we get 10 to 12 tickets given to us. Right. So we've far exceeded what was probably capable. And I thought, well, I'll just run after them and see what's happening after the game, where yep. we're going to go out or what we're going to do together. And then I'll go back and meet my parents. I followed the last of the Australians through a door. Uh, I saw someone getting checked by security. I walked up and all of a sudden, at the last split second, I looked at the guy, Matthew Glazer was his name. He's a cyclist who I think is a world champion now. But he was sort of giving me a side eye and shaking his head. Before I knew it, my pass was in the hands of the security guard uh, and he pulled it off my neck and he had a bunch of this other This is passes. like your, your language. Yeah, sorry, your yep. accreditation. Yeah, right. And the reason was on your accreditation, it would say HO for hockey, for example. Yep. Mine had said ALL, all which meant I had a little sticker on there which could get me into any Olympic event. So these are printed off by the Australian Olympic officials yep. to try and get people into different events. So not just me, but another, I think, eight athletes mm. 
had had their passes confiscated, and they all had BBL or uh, ALL written yeah. on them, so basketball or all. And then before I knew it, we were up in a room. Our passes had been taken off us. Sorry, and, and this is a legit accredited pass you've got, or was this a so our a fabricated one? Our accreditation is legitimate. It's our yep. photo with our, um, like I said, a HO for hockey, and yep. you can go to the food hall. Might be yep. written on there or something like that. But with just a little sticker peeled over the top, right? Which didn't look very good when I think about it in hindsight. <laughs> but who knows? It's worked many times yeah. before. And to be honest, yeah, I'd I'd um got into a few other events in yeah. the lead up to that night. Yeah, with this pass, mm. with this fake pass, I guess. Mm. Uh, so I just thought it was part of the Olympic experience, and I'd done it. Uh, as well as a lot of other people in London as well, sort of mm. got around to different events just by chance and just by luck. But not this time. So, okay. yeah, before I knew it, we are in a, in a security area of the basketball. I hadn't seen a minute of the basketball. I didn't even get through and see the Aussies performing. There was nine of us, as you say, but there was one guy who I won't name who still had his pass for some reason. He quickly ripped off the sticker and swallowed it. Swallowed? And said, well, my pass is clean. And he walked out for free. Is that right? So he was the guy who got away. <laughs> the one that got away, which at the time I thought, yeah. You know who you are. devil. Person who got away. Yeah, person who got away. But there we were. So we're sitting in basketball jail. And then before we knew it, we are <laughs> ushered out of the basketball stadium into police cars and taken to the local police station where, yeah, sort of all hell sort of broke loose. And, and where are the Australian officials at this point? Are they even aware of what's going on? So by the time we were upstairs at the basketball centre, uh, an Australian official, Fiona De Jong, had come and told yep, us that we're in a bit of trouble. Australian team lawyer? Yeah. Yep. And by this stage, a few other officials had come through. I think Kitty Chiller at that stage had popped up to see what was going on. And the Brazilian authorities were intent on making a bit of a message out of us. Uh, we talked off air about the Ryan Lochte. Because Ryan Lochte had made a mockery of them. Yeah, a week earlier. earlier. Yeah. So they were trying to show the world that they couldn't be hoodwinked a second yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's sort of how it began. And what ensued was uh, a, a good 12, 14 hours of a lot of sitting around, a fair few tears from a lot of the girls involved, a lot of unknowns, uncertainties, until... Uh, finally someone sorted So you're all together in a lockup, basically. Yeah, we were pretty much, we're in a police station, not in a cell, but in a room yeah. with no access to anything, yeah. apart from our cell phones, which we still mm. had. So I could text uh, mum and dad and say, mm. I won't be coming Can't out. Can't see you tonight. <laughs> bit of bother. I'm in a bit of strife. <laughs> and I remember my phone went dead, so I had to borrow a phone and, and call someone and let them know. And mum and, you know, mum and dad's, for any mum and dad's listening, yeah. and I'm about to be a parent, so I can only imagine the sheer terror that went through their minds thinking that <laughs> their son was in a Brazilian police cell for something that I didn't really know at the time what we're up for. I didn't yeah. know, yeah, you know. In the end, we got charged with fraud, all nine of us. Yeah. Uh, a big fine. But, yeah, that... 12 hours, we just sat there awake yep. until I think 6 or 7 a.m. the next day when finally we were released. And, and were you still competing at this point in time? Oh, no. No, no, no. no. Your, your games <laughs> thank, experience thank uh, on field at least had come yeah. to an end. Everyone what, in that what about room the was finished. Stuff? Everyone had finished. Yeah. Okay. There was a couple of medalists. So I think there yeah. was two silver medalists in archery or something like that, the rugby yep. captain. A couple of uh, archers in there, yeah. Alex, yeah. Alec Potts and Ryan Tyag. Yeah. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> Silver medal to jail. Yeah, well, that's the thing. We, you know, we got pizza. 
delivered to the to the police station. So they kind of looked after you. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't this arduous ordeal, but at the same time, the media at that stage, Australia weren't winning anything. Yeah. So the media from not only Australia but around the world had gathered out the front, and it was the most bizarre sort of experience walking out of that. And you can still see the footage today. Yeah. We're quite sheepish because no one knows what <laughs> the hell to do. But we're also an archer, a rower, cyclist and a hockey player who have never had media attention in our whole lives. So what do we do? I don't know. Yeah. So we went we went from the police cell next door to the courthouse. Yep. And eventually someone wrangled a deal with Brazilian authorities to let us go. Okay. Uh, big fine. Groveling apology. We didn't actually have to say sorry, but yep. um, I know at that stage, yeah, poor Kitty was having kittens for lack of a better. But they, they, a, they confiscated your passports as well, hadn't they? By this point, that's the other yeah. part. Yeah, so that's that's when it started to get a little bit scary because yeah. we obviously couldn't get out of the country without that. Yeah, and we weren't sure. Which is the trick that Ryan Lochte pulled, yes. didn't he? Because he, he he left the country and then came clean about the. The mugging that never happened yeah. once he was back on US soil. I hope that all makes sense for people listening. But essentially, essentially, we had a, a pass which we used to get into all our events. Yep. Which was doctored a little bit to get yep. in to support our teammates, and it didn't work out. Yeah, you we got were caught, caught red-handed. Yep. Still a great story. To, there it is. To and tell. the funniest thing, <laughs> I reckon, one of the funniest things is I got married. It, was, it must have been close to a two-year anniversary of the Olympics last year. My dad got up to do his speech, and the first thing he said was. I'd like to congratulate Simon because not many people know this, but he's actually legally allowed to go back to Brazil as of today. Great. That so was the two-year anniversary when our sentence had been wiped yep. and we were free to go back to Brazil. <laughs> there was a round of report. <laughs> the funny thing is whenever I go and do speaking gigs or talk to hockey clubs or local sporting groups, they don't care as much about the Olympics. They want to hear the Rio story and yeah, the sorry, biggest I've, cheer goes up for that. I've just uh, fallen into that trap as well. It's yeah. a good story. It is, yeah. It's a good story, and you can laugh about it now. Great story. Um, as I said, some of the girls in the room were quite uh, emotional about it, but yep. I'd like to think we were in it together. haven't spoken to anyone since, yeah. From but maybe a reunion would be down yeah. the track somewhere. And and I'm sure after a few beers we might get that name out of you, <laughs> the one that peeled the sticker off the and then just away. and it's abandoned you. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about your transition away from uh, elite hockey back into the the real world, for want of a better expression. But we need to take a break. Simon Orchard uh, is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories on 882 6PR. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882-6BR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Our special guest is uh, Kookaburra, uh, Simon Orchard. Uh, we've just uh, glossed over some of the, the memorable moments in what was a pretty extraordinary career. 200-plus games, multiple medals. How many medals? Wouldn't know. Dozens. Yeah, dozens few, of few. medals. All in dad's underwear drawer. If you're living in my dad, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, should I? No, he'll have to move it now. We'll go to the sock drawer. Surely no one's going in my dad's underwear drawer. <laughs> Do you know what? If they want your medals that much, they can go. <laughs> yeah. A bit of rummage around in that. Hide them, dad. Uh, 2010, you were, you were the Kookaburra's Player of the Year. Uh, so many accolades. Um, I want to talk to you about your transition out of elite sport. Let, let's talk about your, your injuries towards the end firstly, and then we'll talk about some of the mental aspects. But uh, injuries were pretty crippling towards the end for you, weren't they? 
Yeah, and they are with a lot of sports people now. Mm. You don't see a lot of sports people just retire because they want to do something else. It's usually injury or they've been told to go. They're not there anymore. Mine was yeah. a bit of both. Uh, my Achilles had just sort of blown up to the point where training was too hard, uh, you know, the amount of training we were doing, constant soreness, constant battle to get mentally ready. Uh, and it affected me probably more than I imagined at the time. And now looking back on it, you think, well, how did I get around, get around the field in a mm. game with, you know, it's such an aerobic-based game. So where, where speed was one of your key attributes, wasn't it? Yeah, speed and, you know, running ability. And that was a lot of my game, breaking yeah. lines and being destructive with the ball. And you lose that just ability to bounce mm. and spring. And it was so sore. And it was just something which I'd never really dealt with. So, so getting out of bed and, and taking those first steps in the morning was a struggle. Oh, yeah. Like, I've, I've got a Border Collie dog at the moment. If I had him then... You know, the way that he moves, I couldn't chase him then. I could, mm. I'd limp down the hallway in the morning to, you know, have breakfast and stuff, and it'd take half an hour for me to be able to walk properly, let alone yeah, right. run around on the hockey field. Yeah, at absolute elite level. Yeah, trying to. You know, I was a bit bit heavier when I was at the end of my career than when I started, but I was still trying to run fast, yeah. which ultimately you need your legs to do. And at the time, were you kind of aware of the, the mental challenge that that posed for you as well? Because I, I can imagine if you wake up and you're struggling to – take those first few steps in the morning, knowing that you had to train uh, with other people and, and hold your place in the team who were all, you know, at the at the peak of their powers then. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a big transition to make in a matter of hours. Oh, it's a difficult thing for sure. And it, it almost got to the stage, well, it did. Like I would get uh, cortisone jabs yep. in my Achilles before big tournaments. And this happened before the Olympics and before another tournament in 2016. And it would just be a matter of just get through three more weeks till the jab, mm. which is a pretty silly, dangerous sort of way to start thinking, four more weeks till the jab. And you see it now in football. They get these sort of injections all the time to get through, but that's yeah. not any way to live, really. No. So you'd live be. from jab to jab, basically? Oh, I'd try, yeah. They yeah. would never, you know, take me an extra hour to warm up or get prepared, which you don't see on TV. You just see... You know, Orch running around a bit slower than normal. What's, what's going on? What's wrong with him? But that was sort of it. And a lot of people... So were you in, actually in pain when you were playing towards the end? Oh, pl- plenty, plenty of pain. And it's it's a hard one because the Achilles, until you do it, or until you have a you know tendonitis through the Achilles, it's a difficult thing to sort of describe. Just a ripping pain every mm. step, which until it's warm, which would take, like I said, 45 minutes to an hour, just really difficult to try and... Yep. Um, to play hockey with. Yep. And like you say, the mental battle of trying to think, well, I've got to try and run with this guy today mm. or I'm trying to hold my spot in the team. I want the team to do well. I don't want to let anyone down. Uh, I want to be able to chase my kids one day. You know, those sort of thoughts start entering your mind. Yeah. You've been quite public uh, in talking about uh, your anxiety in the years uh, since you uh, you finished up with the Kookaburras. Um, how are you now? How's the, how has the transition been on a mental level? I'm definitely better than I was. Yeah. I was in a pretty, I wouldn't say the darkest place, but it wasn't great. Mm. What, what do you put that down to? A combination of a lot of things. I think at the time I was fighting a sort of battle in myself about whether I wanted to play hockey or not. I actually took, must have been two, maybe two to three months off in 2015 where I just sort of said, look, this isn't for me. I remember thinking one night, I don't want to go to training tomorrow. Mm. I don't want to. I don't want to rock up. I don't want to go through this. Not just the pain of trying to train with these injuries, but I just didn't want to be there. Mm. And I started thinking, you know, I was voc- vocalizing that resentment towards the game, and 
younger teammates were starting to sort of hear that and I didn't want to be a negative influence and I just remember picking up the phone, called our psychologist and said, what do you reckon? Like, am I fit to do this? And we decided right then and there, let's call the coach, Graham Reid, and tell him that I'm not going to come in. I ended up going in and telling the playing group. It was one of the worst days of my life. To so you had, to, you had to reveal all this to your teammates? I didn't have to do anything. But, but I you, just were, thought, you wanted to? Yeah, just the spirit of openness. And you never know, there could have been someone else in the room dealing with something similar. And uh, I don't see it as that much of a brave thing to do. I just thought, well, they're my mates and I want mm. to try and be as open as possible. And they're going to know that I'm not at training. Mm. So I might as well show them the sort of pain that I was in. It was pretty emotional or very emotional. How did it go down with your teammates? Uh, were they surprised, um, supportive? Um, you know, did it divide the team at all? Did some of them want you out? I hope no one wanted me out. I don't know that, but I yeah. reckon it was a combination of all the other things. Some yeah. guys, I reckon, still would have no idea how to deal with it. Mm. Some guys didn't know what to say. Some guys, you know, hug, good on you. Some guys would text afterwards or make a phone call and say, I had no idea. Some yep. guys would say, oh, yeah. Maybe we saw some signs of that. Mm. Good on you for telling us. Yep. How can we help? So it was a combination. You've got to remember mm. there's close to 30 guys in the squad. And the beauty of life is everyone's different. Yeah. So some guys, for you know, some guys might have thought, well, if he's no good, he's no good to us. Yeah. Maybe. But you know, I'm not sure. They didn't say it to your face at least. No. <laughs> and I, I don't think, I think the overwhelming sentiment was, yeah. he, we can see him struggling. Let's help he him. needs to get better. Yeah. So this isn't the right spot for him. We hear more and more about um, mental health and, and various programs that different sporting codes uh, are employing these days. Um, you know, we've spoken already about how... Uh, hockey has had the spotlight uh, periodically when you know you've fronted up for major tournaments where we expect you to do well. Um, but generally, the, in the in the hockey setup, how how well is it equipped to deal with players, uh, particularly going through that end of career transition? You know, back into general society for want of a better phrase. Again, I called it the real world before, but basically, when their career wraps up. No, you're right. It's a funny thing, and it's not this maybe serious, but I've heard people say that elite athletes die twice. They die mm. when they retire, and then obviously when you pass away one day. I think that's fairly true. Mm. You sort of, and you see it now, it's happening right now in a lot of sports, but a Paddy McCartan in uh, the AFL is dealing with some concussion issues, which he's talked about losing his identity. Jack Stephen from St Kilda has taken time away. Greg Inglis, uh, yep. I'm a huge fan of him, always have been. He's in a facility at the moment dealing with you know issues that probably re- re- revolve around finishing something which he's attached his identity to for a long time. Mm. That was a struggle for me. I knew that I didn't want to just be a hockey guy. I still yep. don't like that. I don't like people saying, oh, ex-Kookaburra. No, I'm not. I was that. But I'll now. stop saying that myself <laughs> really soon, I promise. No, you know, within, because that's, yeah. attaching your identity to yeah. something like that can be quite crippling when you don't do that anymore. Yeah. So for me, it was about, well, I'd, that's one part of my life. Yeah. I hope it's not the best part mm. because it was great, but I wanted to be great at something else. Mm. And I, I was fighting that at the end of my hockey career. I knew I just didn't want to be a hockey player. And the system didn't allow you to be great at something else. Yeah. It allowed you to try and do something else, but you couldn't be great it's at it. It's all or nothing. Couldn't be great at two things. Yeah. Well, what else do you want to be great at? Oh, to start with, I want to be a great father. That's what I'm looking forward to, you know, in the next couple of weeks. But I'm doing broadcasting now. I want to be mm. a great broadcaster. 
So I'm sure you will be. It's you know looking You'll... across the room at you and <laughs> Beefy over here in the in the corner. You know, there's a lot of people out there that tell inspiring stories and share inspiring stories, and I've always liked being vulnerable because I think it allows other people to do the same. That's when you get great stories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm sure you will be. You probably do other people out of a job. Me. <laughs> so I thanks hope for that. that. I hope so. <laughs> You're safe, mate. But look, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. Good luck with fatherhood. Yeah. Uh, I could offer any, any you know tips? Some, some tips and words of advice <laughs> to you, but you know what? I wouldn't be the first, and um, you'll work it out on your own. I'm sure you will. I really appreciate it. Thanks very much, Tim. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, you've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one, of course, brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Bower and O'Day. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.